what is your all's favorite hotel urban legend? Because my personal favorite is the one where they find the girl's body in the box springs of the mattress because the hotel room's been stinking for like days. Uh, Can you imagine? I just feel like that that is probably a pretty real thing. Oh, it happened. That's actually happened. What? That's yeah. a real thing that somebody happened got like stuffed Arizona. in a mattress? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that where the phrase comes? I'm going to stuff you in a mattress. Well, they got stuffed in the box spring. Oh, uh, the box. What? Did they yeah. identify and them with a the mattress stuff? Like, what the fuck? She well, it's hard to stuff somebody in a, a mattress. All it's the, the springs. The springs and stuff, yeah. Yeah, you just remove the the felt covering and just jam the corpse in there. Oh, there's no mm. cutting up or anything like no, that? No, you don't need to do any of that. Well, like, isn't it like a flight attendant? I believe it was. They were like horny as fuck too. They would just like fuck anything because they're stuck in the air with old people that suck. Well, they're I mean, just they're like, I need my water with my eight lemons, and <laughs> and homegirl just wants to go get plowed out. That's all Jesus she wants. Christ. <laughs> Fly by night. Um. So welcome to yes. the first episode, <laughs> boys and ghouls. Welcome, welcome to the creeps in the crypt. Our maiden voyage. Yes. Oh. Our inaugural episode. Uh, so our talk earlier of hotel stories or urban legends and people being stuffed in box springs brings <laughs> us to our topic of today. Ooh. The Cecil Hotel. I love Cecil. the Cecil. The Cecil. The Cecil. Who calls it the fucking Cecil? You That British woman did in the... Yeah. <sighs> We're not even going to get into no. the way that it was portrayed in that documentary. That no. it was forced, forced. There was that dog word. shit. No, you were forcing me to watch that. We made it to like episode two, and I was like, I'm kind of ready for bed, and I'm actually kind of forcing myself there. <laughs> yeah, it was um, kind of unbearable. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to give you a full-on, not Netflixified. Story of the Cecil. Yes. So that has Yeah. So, as far as the haunted hotels go, it doesn't get more chill-inducing than the infamous Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. hmm So, the Cecil Hotel was built by three hoteliers, uh, William Banks Hanner, Charles L. Dix, and Robert H. Slops. Uh, the Cecil Hotel was founded in 1924... And after three years of construction in 1927, the Cecil Hotel was officially opened. The 15-floor, 700-room hotel decked out with a lavish marble lobby in the Art Deco style. Mm. Uh, was, like, the pictures are fucking I love gorgeous. Art, de- Art Deco. I believe their word that they use on the hotel is opulent. Ugh. So it was built with the intention of being comfortable and polished for business travelers and Hollywood tourists to enjoy. Mm. So when they were building the hotel, Hollywood was in a boom. Mm -hmm. Like there was tons of people moving there but in in droves because it was just presented as the city of angels. It's like a gorgeous place in the country. Not long after that. The United States entered into the Great Depression. It's basically like the catalyst for the Cecil Hotel being what it is known for now. Mm-hmm. So kind of like sent it into its downward spiral. Yeah, the, they've attributed the tragedies caused by the Great Depression basically due to its proximity 
next to Skid Row, mm-hmm. which we In all know. Skid Row. I mean, it's, it's like literally a you, block. If you turn right, I believe I I heard somebody say this. If you turn right, you're fine. If you turn left, walking out of the Cecil, you're fucking on Skid Row. Skid Row was home by the 1930s to as many as 10,000 homeless people, alcoholics, and other margins of society. The hotel changed from single-room occupancy, which allowed long-term tenants and shared bathrooms. So the Cecil Hotel basically became a budget hotel that attracted unseemly clientele. To so, make ends meet—that's yeah. what they were doing. They were going to try to make ends meet to keep themselves mm-hmm. going. Which, when you lower prices and make things like that, the clientele that you're going to get is the quality not- is going to drop. Yes. So they were charging. They would have month-to-month tenants, mm-hmm. and then daily and weekly rentals of of the rooms. Which, if you look at like some of the tours of the Cecil, the only thing nice about that hotel. Was the lobby. Yeah. Basically a shithole hotel. <laughs> Even, and it cost the guys a million dollars to build it back in the 20s. So Jesus. it wasn't like a little bit of money back then. No. It was a metric fuck ton of money compared to like well, that time standards. 700 rooms. And they don't look like they're big rooms either. They're, no, they they're don't. They're very, very small. Mm-hmm. They were meant to be like a bathroom, now, a bed. And they look like the motel that you would take a truck stop hooker to go to. <laughs> yeah. Like that's pay exactly by the hour type went. of place. Yeah. yeah. And that's what it ended up being. Yeah. Uh, which we will talk about here in a second. So over the decades, the magnificent Cecil Hotel soon became not only a place for the down and out to find a cheap shelter, but a meeting place for criminals, murderers, junkies, adulterers, runaways, and prostitutes instead of the businessmen who it was originally intended for. You would find people fucking doing heroin, opium back in the day. I mean, mm-hmm. Skid Row was just a tent city and it still is today. Oh, yeah. It hasn't changed. Their population was. 8,000 a few years ago when they took a census. Now they're sen- doing the census for yeah, homeless people. Yeah. Well, what, what Skid Row basically turned into was a dumping ground. So if you just got yeah, out of literally. prison. Yeah, I mean, it's a dumping ground, literally and figuratively. So if you got out of prison, they would just take you there if you didn't have a ride. Or if you just got out of a mental institution, they would just dump you off at Skid Row. And... You, you're not medicated anymore at this point. You're you're a fucking free range crazy person. Right. You have all these people with severe mental mental breakdowns happening and just going crazy in the streets. And the LAPD just contained it within this this radius of Skid Row. It's basically fucking lawless. It's like the Wild West of yeah. LA. They just they just they're like cue the tumbleweeds. Yep. Do whatever you want to. As long as you stay in this this little bit we don't give a shit what you do that's so, terrifying yeah um even recently there was I, a string of murders where people would just light the tents on fire i just feel like that if you were somebody's traveling here and you like just like didn't know and you've never been to la and i'm sure that place was fucking cheap as shit because of that uh, it, yeah like, well i mean listed- back in the 80s richard ramirez would st- Pay $14 a night to stay there. Okay, so $14 a night. If you're a fucking 
person that is not from here and you are like, oh, I just want to stay somewhere cheap. Like, you know, I'm just visiting for the night and you find right. this hotel and then you're right next to all of that. And you're like, this is like candid camera shit. Like, what the fuck is going on? Am I being punked right now? Yeah. There's something good you're going to come out. Fucking for real. Like, that's all I could. I could think of, like, being a tourist and, like, staying there and being like, what the fuck is going on outside? And the and the people that are, like, in the lobby, like, the actual, like, attendants, the front desk, people are just like, this is normal. This is, like, I know, they're so, like, nonchalant, like, yep. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, like I said, infamous serial killer and Satanist Richard Ramirez, the fucking night stalker, was a resident for several weeks at the hotel during his killing spree in the 80s. But he was convicted of 13 counts of murder and five attempted murders. And 11 of sexual assaults. And there was a story that he would come home after or come to the Cecil after killing whoever he was killing that night, strip his clothes down, throw it in a dumpster and walk through the lobby covered in blood half naked back and to his no room. no one would question anything. And nobody said shit. So one of the most prolific serial killers. Of all time. Of all time. Was hanging out in this place. And no one even Covered in thought blood, twice about it. Walking the halls. And it's still said that people have seen his ghost in the hallways mm-hmm. covered in blood. Uh, ghost Adventures went up to his room. They don't even have a number on the door. They don't? Room. No. They don't want people to know what room he was in. But clearly it's the I one mean, with no fucking number Right. On it. Like that's just that make make it obvious. Yeah. I feel like the, the front desk people were probably just like, this is normal. This well, is my life now. I think what it was was people were, <laughs> people kept stealing the number uh, off the off the door. Uh, and they just said, fuck it. I, I probably you, would too, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Richard Ramirez wasn't the only serial killer that stayed at the Cecil. He was not. Uh, famous writer and serial killer Jack Unterweger checked into the Cecil years after he was convicted of murder in 1976 in his native country of Austria. So, basically, Jack Unterweger uh, wrote a book while he was in prison in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to push, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, reforms. Mm. They, were okay. putting, they, yeah. were, they wanted people to reform and prove that uh, being reformed was a thing. Mm-hmm. So, people fell in love with his book, Purgatory, or The Trip to Prison, <laughs> is what it translates to. And he was released and got a job as an author. Okay. So Unterweger was released in the 90s and headed for L.A., sent there on a report to find the cultural attitudes about sex workers in the U.S. versus Austria. <gasps> Riveting and book topic. Yes. Well, was you he know, doing play to your work? strikes. Well, he was field doing research. he was doing field work all right. He really let his he really unbuttoned his collar and let his hair down for this one. Ooh. So during this time, he was even allowed to ride along with the LAPD. He was in the police car. Oh my god. <laughs> in a police car. Doing, doing ride alongs. Doing little tours, his own little tours. Uh, <laughs> as he was riding his little expose on the red light district. He killed three sex workers, went on a horrific killing spree. 
that he had been interviewing. So he killed three sex workers he had been interviewing. I feel like the Cecil's where you go to disappear. Yep. To like blend in. Yep. And like never be found again. Either you go there to disappear forever or you go there to disappear because you need to. Right. So what's even crazier is Unterweger was never convicted to these three murders. What? <laughs> of course he wasn't. So the only reason that they really know it was him is because he used a specific knot fashioned out of their bras to strangle them to death. <gasps> and the way it worked was he could let up on the on the tightness of the knot, let him get a little air, and then just throttle it back. And he would do this for hours. Was it the same? Did he use that knot in his other killings? Oh, yeah. It was, a, it was his signature. Okay. So he, he was a killer with a signature, and that was his signature, was he would take their bra and then choke them to death with it, and then that's how they kind of knew it was the same guy. Okay. On top of being the home of two serial killers, <laughs> prolific serial killers, uh, there have been several reports of ghost sightings at the Cecil Hotel. It's been linked to several notorious serial killers like we just covered. And it's even rumored that the Black Dahlia, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Short, was allegedly spotted there in the hotel bar day before she was murdered. That's more hearsay. So I'm not going to throw that as fact, but it is a rumor. I saw something where it was even the night into the night before she was murdered. So her killer could have, like, picked her up at the hotel bar. I mean, it was one of her stomping grounds. Mm-hmm. But I've read some things that say that's been disproven. It was, like, a radio jockey that came up with that oh. and just kind of let that fly. Like, lay out there. Yeah. Yeah. Just to sound cool. Yeah, it was kind of, like, just throwing shit out there. Yeah. Throughout the decades, the hotel has had numerous patrons die on the property. By suicide, overdose, murder, and 16 of these aren't really explained. Hmm. It just happened. So, <laughs> they just died. Said, yeah, it happens. It'd be like that sometimes. I mean, that's uh, pretty much what I got from that. Basically, they've stopped reporting deaths at the Cecil. Well, shit. Uh, it, it's to a point to where, like... The the ones that I will be talking about later on in this episode mm-hmm. are the ones that are well documented. They're documented at all. In the Netflix series that I will reference in this one part, the hotel's former manager, Amy Price, said she had witnessed at least 80 deaths at the hotel during the 10 years she worked there from 2007 to 2017. There is not one room in the Cecil Hotel that somebody has not died in. So that would mean there are 700 deaths. I would say... Well above that. Yeah, well, at least because there's 700 rooms. Some with more than one bed in it. Ooh, double jeopardy. <laughs> Yahtzee! <laughs> so, when you're looking at, when you're thinking about it in that aspect, this place is a a portal for evil. Absolutely. It's a breeding ground. It has become the nexus of darkness in L.A., I would say it is the most evil haunted spot in Los Angeles. I would have to agree with you there. Like it needed something else and an excuse to be evil. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. At a fucking haunted hotel that everybody's died in. Literally. Well, there's there's a couple haunted hotels in L.A. Oh, I believe it. We'll be covering another one later on this summer. Mm-hmm. So before I go any further, 
allow me to plug the Summer of Slaughter for you guys. <laughs> That's what we're going to be doing this summer is just hotel murders, summer camp murders. Charles Manson might make an appearance. Never know. We're, we're planning it out this, right now. It's going to be... Uh, it's going to be a good time. And we're going to end the Summer of Slaughter with Richard Ramirez. Is it going to be a good time for everybody or just us? Not for the people involved. Oh, okay. It's going to be the bomb. <laughs> I see what you did there. Oh, it was good. It was so spicy. So That's my thing. Be sure to subscribe. Yes. And follow the show. Yes. And don't miss out. On any of the the fun topics we have this summer. Yeah, it'll be great. So, with 16 unnatural deaths inside the hotel, and even more connected to it, this high-rise in the heart of downtown Los Angeles is widely believed to be haunted, or at least cursed, because of something, there's something about the Cecil Hotel that leads to guests turning up dead. Maybe we shouldn't go there. It reopens. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, Maybe we I, shouldn't stay there. Honestly, I wish they would reopen the hotel as a haunted hotel and just literally package it for that. But it's so yeah. close to Skid Row, you can't keep those people out. And apparently there's yeah. like some ordinance that the L.A. government has. It's yeah. like a landmark now. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, it's, it's a landmark. And, and they also have it zoned as a residential zone. Isn't that yeah, what the other so they thing can't is? like evict. The, the permanent tenants. There's people that still live there. There's mm-hmm. people that live there for like 20 years. I, I believe guess it. And they said like they only pay like $400 a month for their, for and, and just so everybody knows, like, yeah, that's a one bedroom. Like that does, that sounds like a lot. But in LA, that's fucking cheap as shit. In that's downtown a, LA? Yeah, cheap you, here. Yeah. That's not a fucking closet either. Like it looks like a closet online, but I just feel like that. But there's people that have been living there, what did you say, like 20 years? Mm-hmm. They're just waiting for them to die. Added another tick in the Well, the, the hotel's closed now, but yeah. we'll get yeah. more into that later. Okay. Um, We will discuss that in episode two. Mm-hmm. When we talk about the most famous case of the Cecil. Let us begin with the first recorded death at the Cecil Hotel. Let's go. The first death ever recorded at the Cecil Hotel was that of 52-year-old Percy Orman Cook, who shot himself in the head in 1927 after a bitter, months-long separation from his wife and son. And when he realized there was no chance at getting them back, on the evening of January 22nd, 1927, Cook shot himself in the head while inside the hotel room After failing to reunite with his wife and child, he left a note which said that he had spent $40,000 in the previous six months in an attempt to buy happiness after separating from his wife. He was rushed to a receiving hospital with a slim chance of survival. Death records reveal he died that same evening. So when they were rushing him to the hospital, they said there was a slim chance he'll make it. He died. Well, Slim went home. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so already, a violent start. Yeah. Like so this it, was the first ever or first just the recorded. first record. Okay. That's an important factoid. Just wanted to clarify that the first recorded death was Percy Orman Cook, 
the second death to occur recorded was on November 19th, 1931 Manhattan beach resident WK Norton was found dead in his hotel room after ingesting poison capsules. A week prior, he had checked into the Cecil hotel under the name James Wiley from Chicago. To this day, no one knows if his untimely death was a murder or a suicide. Not even a year later in September, 1932, a maid found Benjamin Doddick dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. He also did not leave a suicide note. Okay. So we're talking three deaths in the first five years of this place opening. And the deaths at the Cecil are about to become a lot more violent. Basically, these are just suicides. Yeah. Yeah. Just self-contained. I feel like hotels are a lot more prone to people who are going to commit suicide. I agree with that. You, you're not in your own space. Yeah. I just feel bad for the maid. Oh, God, I know. Well. I don't even know what I would do. I think I would just turn around and walk out. Pretty soon here, in about five minutes, you're going to feel real bad for the street sweepers. Um, oh, God. So, the next death <laughs> is in July of 1934. Former Army Medical Corps Sergeant uh, Borden was found dead in his room at the Cecil. He had slashed his throat with a razor, left several notes, one of which cited poor health as the reason for his suicide. So, this man slit his own throat. That is one of the most brutal deaths you could experience because you have to wait to bleed out. Yeah. Yeah. And you're also suffocating from the blood getting into your lungs, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's if you cut deep enough, yeah. Yeah. You're you're drowning in your own blood. You really need to nick the carotid and Um, you're straight. I mean, it's it's a excruciating three minutes. Oh, God, three minutes. Yeah, it's 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 really really fucking rough. Um, when I was doing criminal justice for like crime scene investigation, mm-hmm. they were telling stories of people who would like slit their wrists but do it the wrong way, right? And they would just be sitting there with like gashing, like gushing blood out of their wrist because in the movies everybody sees the slit the wrist, mm-hmm. but you know you got to go down the street, not across the way. I did not know that. So if you just slit your wrist this way, you're not going to die. Yeah. You're just, it's going to hurt like a motherfucker. And it's going to leave some scarring. And there's going to be a shitload of blood, but you're not going to cut an artery. You're not going to bleed out. Hmm. And normally most people will call a fucking ambulance once they do it. It takes a lot to sit there and just be like, all right. Here we go. It's the waiting game. So the next death is March of 1937. Grace E. Margot fell from the ninth story window. Her fall was broken by telephone wires, which wrapped around her body. She later died at the now demolished Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. Police were unable to determine whether Margot's death was a result of an accident or a suicide. So she got or tangled murder. up. She could have been pushed out the window. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking happened. I mean, yeah, she landed on freaking telephone wires. She got tangled in the telephone wires. So that took some like launching. She never hit <clears throat> the ground. If she'd hit the ground, she would have died. So she lived? She lived till she got to the hospital. Oh. 
from her injuries. And I've heard it wasn't telephone wires. I heard it was power cables. Oh, Jesus Christ. But extra crispy. It was oh, it was a 50 no. 50 shot on that little tidbit of fact. And more sources were leaning towards telephone wires. So that's what I went with. So, I mean, that's like a far reach. Yes and no. Um, That's 90 feet in the air. So, I mean, she jumped out the window. If you get pushed, you probably wouldn't hit the telephone wires. Um, If it's just like a, you get pushed out. Unless she bounced off the building and like, oh, that'd suck. Like you're falling, you hit about the sixth floor. Oh, God. If you think about it, like from the sidewalk, like if I'm just thinking about it and like ask for like the way that they would place the telephone poles, they would be probably like closer to the road of the the street. That's what I'm saying. Like, so I see where you're coming from, but I also think that if you take a running start, and jumped out the fucking window. You're going to kind of keep that same plane. But I'm with Eric You're going to get that momentum. Yeah. But I'm also thinking, like, what if she hit the fucking building? If you hit the building, you project yourself out. And then at that point, you're just falling in a straight yeah. line down. Well, the hits just keep on coming, folks. <gasps> um, Roy Thompson, Marine Corps firefighter, jumped from the Cecil's top floor and was found on the skylight <sighs> of the neighboring building. Oh, my gosh. He had been staying at the Cecil for several weeks. Oh. So he took a running leap to the next building. Parkour. Oh, God. Guys, this is just in 38. 1938. This is literally 11 years after the Cecil opened. Jesus. In May of 1939, Navy officer Erwin Neblett was found dead in his room after ingesting poison. Oh, God. In January of 1940, Dorothy Seger ingested poison while staying at the Cecil and was reported by the Los Angeles Times to be near death. No further reports were published about her condition until her death is listed on January 12th, 1940. Where are these people getting poisoned like this? That's what I want right? to know. Where are they just, like, just selling it in Skid Row? Like, here, here's some crack. Here's some heroin. How about some poison? Yeah, I mean, it's Skid Row. <laughs> I mean, you just take arsenic and... Yeah. You gotta remember how easy it was to get your hands on shit back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like, people had cyanide all the fucking time and shit. <laughs> so, this has to be probably one of the most famous incidents at the Cecil that we're going to talk about next. In 1944, a 19-year-old woman named Dorothy Jean Purcell was sharing a room at the Cecil with her boyfriend, a shoe salesman named Ben Levine. He was 38. Ooh. So, a little bit of an age gap there. That's like, what, 20 years? A bit. Yeah. It's a hop. It's, it's a hop. It's 19 years. <laughs> yeah, just about. This is like, that's going into sugar daddy like territory without the sugar without the sugar she's trying to get that shoe money yeah um ben levine who apparently had been unaware that dorothy was pregnant when she went into labor she later testified that she did not want to disrupt the sleeping ben levine so she went to the bathroom and gave birth to a baby boy quietly she swears she doesn't know she was pregnant but how do you I mean, I had a C-section, so, like, I don't really know. But I feel like 
natural childbirth with no drugs. That's a lot of pain. They was just built different back then, I guess. I don't fucking know. Yeah. Fuck them. <laughs> I mean, Jesus I'm sitting Christ. in a room with two mothers, so. Yeah. Uh-uh. None of that. Nope. I will poison my child with my own selfish game. I don't care. Well, wait till you hear what she did with her child. Oh, okay. Did she poison it with, for her own selfish gain? So, thinking the baby was dead, <laughs> she threw him out of the window. And he landed on the roof of the adjacent building. This is poor adjacent building. I know. Yeah, that those are some. Those are the real unlucky motherfuckers. They don't have to <laughs> deal with this Can shit. Can you imagine living on like the top floor and you're like, God damn it! Another person jumped into my fucking like greenhouse. Like, I just imagine thing. like all the homeless people on Skid Row have like rain jackets, like they're going to a Gallagher show. Oh, no, it's just a raining viscera down on them. Crawling to the front desk. Yeah, I think another body hit my uh, hit the roof again. <laughs> They're like watching. Body TV. hit my tent. <laughs> yeah. My body's hit the floor. When was this? So this was in '44. Uh, so okay. thinking the baby was dead, she threw him out the window, and he land and the child landed on the roof of mm. the adjacent building. An autopsy of the baby revealed that he had air in his lungs at the time of death, and therefore was not dead. So she threw her live baby out the window. Oh, my God. And she said she was in a trance-like state. She didn't know what she was doing. So afterward, she was charged with murder and found not guilty by reason of insanity. Mm. She never gave a real reason for tossing her baby from the window other than she thought he was stillborn. You're just throwing babies? Yes. Throwing people's... <laughs> Throwing people. <laughs> and like I said, more jumping. So in 1947, 20 years after mm-hmm. the Cecil Open, Robert Smith died after jumping from one of the Cecil's seventh floor windows in October of 1954. So we're starting to see a little bit of space between the, the accruing deaths. And I think down. this is more of these are just the horrific ones. Mm-hmm. That don't get like like you can't just hide. Yeah, um, I think what you're starting to see at the Cecil is a lot more overdoses, things yeah. like that, things that aren't like making big headline, headline news. Because yeah. it's 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 Skid Row at this point. Like, who gives a shit? Right. Like the news is like, oh wow, another fucking scumbag died. October 22nd of 1954. The day before my birthday. There you go. Well, don't somebody jump died. out of no windows this yeah, year. somebody died. <laughs> Thank God there's no balconies in Vegas. Uh, so Helen Gurney jumped from the window of her seventh floor room. A lot of people are jumping from the seventh floor. I'm beginning to notice that. Uh, and landed on the Cecil's marquee. Oh, my gosh. One week prior, she had registered at the hotel under the name Margaret Brown. That's my grandmother's name. Her maiden name. Oh, shit. Margaret Brown was my grandmother's name. Damn. That's she, wild. I mean, she went by Peggy. Did she get wild at the Cecil? No. <laughs> <laughs> she have a g- jumping good time. Mm. <laughs> hopping. Yeah, hopping. hopping. I just want to play that song, Jump. I know. Makes you want to jump. Yeah. Crisscross. Yeah. <laughs> just throw yourself at the roof. 
To the adjacent building. What is the adjacent building? Do they even have it listed? No. Or is it like changed a couple times? Hold on. I just want to know what the adjacent building that I know. I do too. I'm like, they just keep calling it the adjacent building. Please tell me it's something like amazing. I mean, I know it's not going to be like a trampoline park, but Jesus. Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> an outdoor the worst trampoline, trampoline park. park ever. I know, that's what I'm thinking. Like, the worst trampoline park ever. <laughs> 1950s trampoline park. But you have to enter from the roof. Just the tarps just... Oh, God. Cu- <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> All right. So, let's get to our next jumper. Uh, oh, my God. February 11th, 1962, Julia Francis Moore jumped from the window of her eighth floor room. So, oh. this one's not on the 7th. And landed at the second story, uh, on the second story interior light well. Oh. She did not leave a suicide note. Among her possessions was a bus ticket from St. Louis, 59 cents in change, an Illinois bank book showing a balance of $1,800. October 12th, the day before my birthday. <laughs> Uh, 1962, Pauline Orton jumped from the window of her ninth floor room after an argument with her estranged husband, Dewey. He had left the room prior to Orton's suicide. Orton landed on a pedestrian, (gasps) killing them both instantly. Oh, no. As there were no witnesses, police initially thought Orton and the pedestrian committed suicide together. However, it was soon determined that the pedestrian had his hands in his pockets at the time of death, and he was still wearing shoes. Could you imagine? Had he jumped, his shoes would have likely fallen off during the fall or upon impact, and his hands would not have been still in his pockets. So this dude was just minding his own fucking business when this broad fell out of the sky. Literally. Yeah. Just another instance of women ruining women, like men's lives. <laughs> one it's, jump at a time. It's raining women. Jumping to conclusions one day. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to use that as a hashtag. If you want to jump to conclusions, it's the downfall of all men. <laughs> all right. So let's skip forward two years to June 1964. June 4th, 1964. This is our first real brutal story at the Cecil versus just people flinging themselves out of windows. (laughs) Um, A hotel worker discovered Pigeon Goldie Osgood, retired telephone operator, dead in her room. She had been raped, stabbed, and beaten. Her room was ransacked. Osgood was well known in the area and earned the nickname Pigeon Goldie because she fed all the nearby pigeons in Perishing Square. Near her body was the Los Angeles Dodgers cap she always wore and a paper sack full of birdseed. Hours after her murder, Jocks B. Ellinger was seen walking through Perishing Square in bloodstained clothing. He was arrested and charged in Osgood's murder, but was later cleared of the crime. What? And this murder still remains unsolved. I feel like it's not exactly a coincidence. We have a brutal murder and then someone walking around in bloody clothes. It's downtown L.A. I mean, they're doing the Art Deco something. (laughs) This is in the 60s. Oh. So this is like, but this is the same time where Skid Row was about containment. Uh It was about containing the homeless population. And if you could contain them to this this area, 
you didn't have to worry about them in the other parts of town fucking up the other parts of town. In the nice part. Yeah, so you, you keep them in this roped-off shithole. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically an exclusion zone. A quarantine. Yeah, they literally quarantined the homeless. December 20th, 1975, a still unidentified woman jumped from her 12th floor window. 12th floor? Onto the Cecil's second floor roof. She had registered at the hotel on December 16th under the name Allison Lowell. And was staying in room 327. This is during the 80s. Like from 75 to 1992. There's no more reported reported murders. Which is insane. Which means they just didn't report them. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's no way. There is no possible way. To just lying dormant. This is like the time where. Richard Ramirez was running around in there. Right. Jack Unterweger. They're like, no, nothing to see here. So the (laughs) next reported death at the Cecil was September 1st, 1992. The body of an African-American man was found in an alleyway behind the Cecil. Police said he had either fallen or jumped or pushed from the hotel's 15th floor. He was uh, 20 to 30 years old and has never been identified. So they have no clue who this person is. I think if you jump from the 15th floor, it might be a little hard to identify who you are. Yeah, other than like the pancake that's stuck to the sidewalk. Oh, yeah. He definitely very flat. Get the spatula. He very, very flat. Mm-hmm. The next recorded death at the Cecil Hotel is that of Elisa Lamb. So Elisa went missing, but we'll be covering Elisa's story in part two of our series on the Cecil Hotel. So please, if you're interested in that, listen back next week and we'll cover that. Um, The most recent recorded death at the Cecil Hotel was the body of a 28-year-old man found outside of the hotel. He may have committed suicide by jumping from the hotel, although a spokesperson for the county coroner informed L.A. Times that the cause of death had not been determined. So that's all the deaths that have been recorded. But a few years ago, the hotel closed its doors for renovation purposes. And although reports in 2019 indicated that the hotel may reopen in late 2021, it is unclear with coronavirus if it has been delayed for the renovation process. With such a history of death and deviance, the hotel has earned quite a bit of a reputation as an evil location. And that reputation, coupled with Elisa Lamb's mysterious case, has led many to wonder if there's some sort of foul play or perhaps even the supernatural. Could be. And that's where we will end for today's episode mm-hmm. of The Creeps in the Crypt. What do you guys think of the story of the Cecil so far? I, I that- love the Cecil. I think they should go ahead and just, when they reopen, if they do reopen, just put some goddamn bars on those windows. Don't even put windows. Windows don't, you don't need windows. <laughs> you don't need shit. What, do you want to look at the homeless people? Yeah, you don't need windows because y'all aren't using them properly. You're supposed to look out them, not jump out them. So one thing <laughs> I didn't. Take them away like they're toddlers. Yeah. One thing I didn't cover in the the information I had researched yeah. was they actually did a name change. So part of the hotel is still the Cecil. And then part of the hotel is a secondary hotel called the Stay on Main, which is like a youth hostel. Well, I figured we'll touch more on that in the next episode. All right, guys. Well. 
Make sure you guys download the episodes. All of yes. the first one. This I is know. the first one of many, and I believe it is a fucking slam dunk so far. Yep. I love it. So share this with all of your friends that like the paranormal, true crime, anything horror related. This is a horror podcast. Share it with all your spooky friends. Yes. And stay creepy. Yeah. Stay creepy. Stay creepy.